Welcome back again to another episode of Voice of Emparo. I'm here with my fellow Australian mate Tom for another episode. Hi Tom. Hi. My name on Zoom is Mr. Me6. I'm Mr. Me6. Look at me. Keep going. My name is MB and here we have a um, guest speaker with us. Her name is Rebecca. Hi Rebecca. Hi Marco. Hi Tom. Nice to really nice to um yeah to be involved into this this project. Yes, and uh, today we are going to cover a very interesting topic, something we never talk about, like our podcast focuses on IR politics, but this time we'll uh, cover more, uh, I would say, anthropology and sociology, because we'll study and we'll discuss about how social media has influenced the Tibetan society. So everyone knows about Tibetan society, everyone has at least seen pictures of the Himalayan mountains, prayer flags, um, and has kind of, I'd say, a superficial idea of what um, I, I guess life might look like inside the Tibetan autonomous region in China. Um, but no one really knows anything about Tibet, like anything deeper than that. So um, that's, why, that's why we've got you on here, Rebecca. Uh, now, is it fair to say that you're a uh, political science researcher? Uh, yes. Um, yes. I have been researching um, on the region, um, mostly from, yeah, like from an economy perspective, uh, also maybe from some, um, policy perspective. But during my research, um, you know, the, the society part is also a very very important part and the part that interests me a lot. So I, I'm really um, excited about today's topic. And we are excited too, as well. And why, can I ask you just as a starting question, like why are you excited in studying this phenomenon, this social phenomenon, like the engagement of young generation, even older, I don't know, we'll find out during this episode of uh, Tibetan people uh, regarding uh, the use of social media. Why, why does this topic interest you so much? Uh, thank you, Marco, for the question. I think um, exactly like what Tom just said, um, for the for people outside Tibet, not only outside China, but really for anybody who's not living in the Tibetan regions, um, I'm calling the Tibetan regions because the Tibetan people not only live in the Tibetan Autonomous Region, Tar, that's for short, but they also live in a vast um, amount of other provinces that connects to the Tar, for instance, Qinghai province, a very big province. Um, western part of Sichuan, um, southern part of Gansu, and then northern part of Yunnan. Um, but any, any Chinese who's not living in these parts, they also had a curious curiosity towards, you know, how does Tibetan people live? So this is an international like curiosity, but also a curiosity that resides among um, a lot of Chinese people as well. So that's why when I was uh, like I was trying to find um, 
if there's any Tibetan bloggers or vloggers on some uh, like this trending streamline platforms like TikTok uh, or Kwai, that's another like Chinese platform similar to TikTok, but doesn't have that much market share. Mm. And also some Chinese version of YouTube. So something like AC Fun and Bilibili. I found there are like growing numbers of young Tibetan uh, vloggers and bloggers uploading amazing content. And for a researcher, um, there used only to be one way to know what the Tibetan people thinks of their lives, that is to interview them. Um, but this is the first time, like in my many years of research, I, I realized the Tibetan young generation is trying to send out their own voices directly through these platforms. So I think, Marco, that's the reason why this topic excites me so much, because it's a new phenomenon. The streaming platform has been on trend for just like, two, three years. And these Tibetan bloggers and bloggers, they're not the first generations of the stream, uh, like platform owner, uh, sorry, users. Uh, so they're kind of like a bit late comers in the uh, stream platforms, but they, the information they bring out is just amazing. It gives us an opportunity to really observe and watch their life from their perspective. Yes, Marco, yeah. that would be my answer. Yes, and this is very interesting because uh, living in the internet era, like we can, uh, it's to me, it's incredible, like um, to know, but like wherever we are in the world, we can notice and we can see what other people are doing. And uh, at the same time, we can see how internet has changed their life. So even if we are in Australia in this moment, uh, to me, I don't know, this is a personal thing, but it's very inc incredible to discuss about these topics. Uh, thinking just 20 years ago, we weren't able to, to do so. So yeah, to me, it's really great. And uh, another thing is, Rebecca, you talked about this like engagement uh, of the Tibetan population related to um, the use of social media. And a question I have is uh, um, how this, uh, how this did this society change over the last 10, 20 years? And this is the period where social media developed and became very popular in Tibet and also throughout all the world. Mm. Thank you, Marco, for the question. I think I would divide this question into two periods. The first one would be uh, with the traditional social media, uh, I mean, uh, internet social media, uh, not the real like paperback social media, that tradition, that traditional. Um, so I would say that um, 20 to 15 years ago, um, online or surfing the internet became really a thing in China. It wasn't um, like as early as in other countries, maybe even earlier in the 1990s, like in Australia, uh, going online would be something quite normal. But in China, it's really something after the 2000s. And with mobile phone and mobile apps, that's something like in 10 years time, right? So this has definitely had a significant impact on the, the Tibetan society. Um, but, but this type of, I would say, more traditional um, internet media um, form doesn't have a big impact to 
like to how the Tibetan people are broadcasting their life uh, lifestyle outside their own groups. Okay, so that's why I call it the first period. So in this first period, um, as an outsider, I have only a limited observation of how that changes Tibetan society. So of course they started to use internet, they have their own discussion um, uh, platforms. And after the smartphone, they definitely use like uh, WeChat. So it's a Chinese version of Facebook thing a lot, but most of the time they're discussing just among themselves, the Tibetan people. Because I'm not Tibetan, so for me as a researcher, um, for this first period of social media development, I can only vaguely peek through, uh, because they are using Tibetan for most of the time for the discussion, um, that they definitely had a more um, convenient way of discussing and maybe exchange ideas among themselves. But this also creates an information cocoon because they're not opening up to the rest of the Chinese, okay? Or even the rest of the world. So that's why I think the second period, this more recent period of development, um, the we media I call, like the streamline platform, uh, sorry, the video streaming platforms and all these short video platforms, really opened up their communication. So for the very first time I'm seeing like this, these vloggers are allowing the audience to involve into their own life. They would show, for instance, their farmhouse um, to the audience followers. They would introduce their families to um, the, the, their audiences and, and followers. So I think for outsider to understand how Tibetan people lives Nowadays, the second stage, the we media stage, is is more exciting. So that's how I'm going to um, uh, conclude how I find social media changes the the Tibetan society. Yeah. So the first period would definitely be more. Um, I would be impacting more on the Tibetan society, but the second phase is impacting more on people outside Tibet to understand them. Yeah. So I was going to ask when exactly we media started but also um like is is it possible to kind of give an overview of, of what tibetans how tibetan society looked and I, I guess um what tibetan culture might look like uh prior to the influence of social media yeah um, um, yeah tom that's a very good question <coughs> sorry um so I would say, um, apart from maybe a lot of us normal people who didn't live in Tibet for a long time or have a close relationship with uh, Tibetan people uh, who can be your friends or you know classmates or acquaintances, um, it, it's it's as what you said. It's like. Tibetan people's life is like behind this thin veil. You see them through maybe some um, novels, you see them from some international reports, but never really directly seeing their lives. Um, so I would say that traditionally the Tibetan people, um, their life is very much decided by the natural environments around them. As I have said, and the Tibetan people, they reside in a very broad uh, realm of territory in China um, that spans across 
four provinces and one autonomous region. That is incredibly big. So in Australian terms, that would be about the size of Western Australia. So that's huge. And they live on very different terrains. So I want to stress one thing. When we try to understand these people, the Tibetan people, uh, we need to realize, yes, they are a cohesive ethnic group. They have their, the same written language. Uh, they have the same culture. They share the same religion, but they're also extremely diverse because of how differently the environment they live. Okay, so altitude would be the main difference, the main factor that impact on their diversity. Uh, for instance, people who live above 4,000 meters in altitude, their lifestyle would be mostly depending on stock breeding. So mostly on breeding yaks. Okay, that's basically the only uh, well, type of stock that can survive and, and flourish above 4,000. And people who live between 4,000 to 3,000 meters in altitude, their main source of income uh, would be a combination of stalking yaks, herding yaks, and growing a bit of highland barley, or what we call Tibetan barley. So this is a special type of corp that grows very good uh, above 3,000, but they don't really grow much above 4,000. That's just too high. Hmm. And for those Tibetans who live maybe between 3,000 to 2,000, then their source of incomes become diversified. So they can herd a bit of yuck, but most of them would be growing the Tibetan barley. Uh, and some of them will start to uh, herd, for instance, sheep and pigs. And for those who are lucky, yes, they consider living above, uh, sorry, below 3,000 being lucky because that's a much better um, condition to leave. Um, uh, I'll explain that a bit later. They yeah. can then grow corpse of all sorts, all sorts of produce and even fruit. Um, but herding wouldn't be like a main source of income for them. So you can see their lifestyle varies a lot. But of course, mainly their source of income depends on agriculture um, and also stock breeding, these two types of industry. Mm. But you can see how varied their, their lifestyle must be. That's why there's no um, standardized spoken Tibetan language. So they have varied dialects. And during my field work, I found that sometimes a Tibetan from one county couldn't understand the Tibetan spoken by a person next to his or her county. Wow. And that's how Greatly, yeah, I'm surprised as well. And also, they eat very differently. So, for instance, a person who lives in Lhasa would probably love um, having like the yak milk tea, okay? Mm. But a, a Tibetan person living in Gansu, they would love to have noodles because the Lanzhou noodle is famous in China and they love to yeah. have that. They, and also in Melbourne, sort of. Really? Oh, yes, uh, yes. Yeah. I remember Lanzhou noodles shops they love having that and they complained to me that when they travel to tibet they couldn't eat all right <laughs> couldn't eat uh they couldn't get accustomed to the very thick yak milk tea and they don't like the tibetan noodle at all they think that's really not good <laughs> compared to lando noodle so, so we're talking tibetans who live in like gansu and yes right okay yeah yes um so so that's something we need to be aware of. This is an extremely diverse ethnic group. 
yeah and 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 also um but of course they are also they are called one ethnic groups because as i said before they shared a lot of very important cultural and also um spiritual um in heritage like religion is a big part of their life and i would say that before we uh, sorry before media or even you know before before the the, the the second half of the 20th century a lot of their life um revolves uh, or surrounds um around the monasteries and i think that for that part a lot of the publications in english have already reviewed that right mm -hmm. but also um, you know, religion has been a, a very, very important part of life, and that reflects on how well they respect the natural environment. They had an, a very, very positive um, attitude towards protecting the environment. Yes, they are. I would say that almost all of them are very aware of the environmental issue, and they try their best to protect the environment. But also, I'm not sure whether you know other people knows about this. Tibetan people are very good singers and dancers. Okay. They're very good at having fun. So uh, that's why it attracts a lot of Chinese travelers to go there whenever that like they, they're not having a good time because in there, um, talking to Tibetan people generally makes you happy because right. they have attitude inside them. Yeah. So I think that's uh, what I, I would, you know, generally describe this society. Yeah. Sounds like good vibes. Um... I was uh, when you said like yak milk, you made me think of Yakult, the uh, the famous brand of these like miniature like milk bottles. Do you know you know Yakult? Yeah, Yakult does not give any money to us. I want to underline <laughs> this thing. Yeah, this is this is not a, a sponsorship. Oh, sorry, this is not an ad for Yakult. Um, I personally would be bad at, at reviewing them because I've never actually had it myself. Can I make a comparison? Yakult is the Western version of uh, Iran. I don't know if you know Iran. Oh, wait, the is that like the with an N ending with an N? Iran. Yes. So is that Turkish? It's basically, a, yeah, it's a yogurt, basically, that says uh, it's good for your health. Anyway, anyway. Right, okay. So going back to our very interesting conversation, um, um, uh, I think, you know, the, um, we talked about a little bit about the diversity between Tibetans, young Tibetans and Han Chinese, but uh, Rebecca, if you want, to summarize a little bit what are the main difference as, as young Tibetans that young Tibetans have developed uh, compared to Han Chinese, it would be great, especially with the use of social media, of course. Mm. Yes, Marco. Um, I think through uh, my observation um, of their logs and Blogs. I think they what the point of their having this um, streaming platforms is to introduce the culture, the Tibetan culture, but also uh, introduce it in a different way because there has been tons of documentaries on Tibetan culture, on their religion produced in China and outside. Um, but they what they want to do is really to introduce Tibetan culture from a first person view. 
Um, so this makes them very different from other like Han Chinese uh, vloggers. So I'm, I'm trying to narrow down the comparison between the vloggers, if that's okay, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah, if you're just a viewer, it's a bit difficult to compare like a viewer from an upload, uh, uh, like a vlogger. But in their video, the, the central theme has almost always been um, like how they're living their lives. And a central theme they're trying to send out is also how Tibetan culture has been modernized, but still keeping very Tibetan itself. So I think this is really an interesting phenomenon because they, nowadays, it seems that the younger generation, when I say the younger generation, generally those who were born after 1995, Mm. uh, so around, you know, 20, 26, 27-ish, um, they don't want to define, they don't want to be defined by others. They want to define themselves. And also in those videos, they are trying to tell their own like type of Tibetan culture apart from other Tibetan cultures, if that makes sense. Okay, so I'll give you an example. So there's this girl, she lives in Nachi. So that's one prefecture in the Tibetan autonomous region. They recognize themselves or identify themselves as the Ken. Okay, that's a, like the Tibetan culture would be generally like divided in three types. So one is the Ken. Um, so they are more associated with the Tibetan people living in Sichuan. I would say that the second type uh, would be um, the uh, the just the Tibetan people. They would call them Utsang. Um, so these people are the ones living uh, around uh, around Lhasa. So the third sector or the third main branch of um, Tibetan culture would be Ando. So Ando, the center of Ando surrounds in Qinghai province, where very differently, the people in there not only herd yaks, but they breed horse, racing horse. And that's the only place in China, like domestically, you can breed your own racing horse, okay? So that's Ando. So this girl, she's living in Nachu, okay? she identify herself as a Kham Tibet. Okay, so a Tibet who identifies with the Kham culture. So in her video, she would stress that when she tried to purchase her traditional rope, uh, that's a Kham style rope, is not, for instance, a Wutsang style. Um, So this is what I observed and also Mm, Tibetan culture is 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 quite different from the Han Chinese Han culture, and most important part is of course the religion. Um, but um, the young people, whenever they are filming inside their homes, and if there's any display of the religious figures, uh, they try to put a mosaic because that's uh, how they should respect. Because we shouldn't be filming inside, for instance, in a monastery. And same thing we sh- in Tibetan culture, uh, we shouldn't be filming the religious. Uh, like the portraits, they shouldn't be in in camera. So this is how, like, um, I would say in uh, in small things, or we in the not set set out things, in more like just you know, it's it's more like a gesture of things. Um, you can tell that how different they are from the Chinese. What I'm not sure that I, I replied the the question that you want. <laughs> Anything maybe you want to add to ask? I was just going to ask, uh, why is it that it's considered wrong to film inside monasteries or in, I guess, uh, spiritual settings? 
Yes, absolutely. And as a traveler, once you go to Tibet, for instance, if you want to visit the Potara Palace, before you even enter into the very outside gate, the tour guide would stress multiple times, please do not film anything inside the monastery, especially if you want to, uh, for instance, take a picture of, of the Buddha. No, that's absolutely no. And you have to, of course, remove your hats and sunglasses. So this is a norm that everybody has to follow once they go to see Tibet. Yeah. Right. And so how do you say the name of the palace again? The Potara Palace. Potara, okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's um, in Lhasa. It's like the the landmark of Lhasa. It's a it's a world. Uh, sorry. Yeah. It's a world wonder that you can build in Civilization five and six. I think, um, and it gives you oh, some bonus. Yeah, really? Yeah. I played Civilization, but I don't know that there's actually you know you can build up Potara Palace in that game. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I, oh, maybe it's just number six. It's like it gives you some. Um, it's some, like a miracle thing, right? It's not like a, it, it, because in civilization, it's like you can build like general buildings, but you can build miracles. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like that. It's so the same equivalence as uh, the mausoleum of Halicarnassus, which I probably didn't say right. Or um, at one point, the Great Wall of China was, uh, was like a, a world wonder that you could build. But then oh. in Civ 6, they made it just only something China could build, which makes a bit more sense. Um, oh, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, it's a little bit weird when New Zealand builds the Great Wall of China and it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I've heard of the place, but I've never really known anything about it. Um, so with the Buddha, is there like a, is it like a statue like, or a sculpture of a Buddha or is, is a Buddha as in like an individual, like with the role? I'm sort of a bit unfamiliar with Tibetan Buddhism. Oh, that very good question. I mean, look, I'm no expert in Buddhism, but I'll try my best <laughs> to describe that. So normally when you visit um, a monastery and you will find the walls being filled with um, religious paintings, okay? So on those, you will find um, the religious figures like, like Buddhas and, and other types of because with Buddhism it is not just offering one God, right? So, and other types of um, like gods in Tibetan Buddhism, but then you will have like the main Buddhas in the center of that hall, and then they will be in statues. So you will find both of them, like statues and wall paintings. Um, so I, I'm actually quite bad at pronouncing those Buddha's names. Uh, and I had difficulty time to try to pick them out when I visit the monastery. <laughs> yeah, but general rule is if you're, you are a, 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 a tourist, go there and then remove your, hats, uh, your, your hat, your sunglasses and don't photo anything. Yeah, that's right. the general rule. Yeah, I know very little about like, the a buddhist deities either um although i i do know that um there's uh vice ravana who's considered the god of war um yeah. is is a as we would say in australian he's a sick um i'm gonna bleep that and there's a statue of him in uh the Tordeji temple in nara in japan um oh. which is a, it's like uh, Nara's the place where um, there's a getting a bit sidetracked where 
like every every Australian who's been to Japan usually goes there because it's where you can like um, see the the deers walking around in this park. Um, oh yeah. But nearby there is this temple, and it's um that was built in like the seven hundreds or something. It's very very old, and it's got this huge uh bronze buddha statue and then next to it is a statue of um vice ravana uh looking with a sort of a grim look on his face yeah <laughs> so. wow yeah but t- that's uh, uh, but tibetan buddhism one thing sorry just remind me sure. um is they created a lot of their own uh religious figures so that's a, a also a characteristic of tibetan buddhism so you will have some maybe shared uh religious figures with other types of buddhism but they have their own type of buddhism as well though i'm very bad at that but i have been told that yes you should be looking at a certain buddha in which monastery but i always fail to find them because they just look all the same to me right yeah that's just something added to yeah to what you have just said tom yeah um so let's talk about we media for a bit because um the one thing i found when learning a little bit about uh social media in china is that it's just very very different to uh like what you get in the west um and like it it seems that the uh, when people describe WeChat, for example, um, they will often say that it is like the Chinese version of WhatsApp, or they'll say that Weibo is Chinese Facebook. But honestly, looking at these platforms, it seems like they don't fully translate to the common ones in the West. It's sort of just their own thing. Like yeah. Billy Billy superficially looks like YouTube, but then YouTube doesn't have it doesn't allow for comments to just fly across the screen, you know, really quickly. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Yes. So Tom, yes. sorry, what was the question? Uh, so when, when did we media start and how is it different from the other ones? Like the other medias that you get, the other Sinmeti in China? Yeah. I would say that we media is not very well defined yet in China. You can view it as a, a, a combination of, for instance, AC Fun, Billy Billy with TikTok and Quai. So TikTok mm. and Quai are the really new ones, which you know you can stream whatever you're doing in a day and you're not editing anything, or you can upload something not more than two minutes. That's like extremely short videos. I would call them like the streaming platforms. But also, we media also exists on like Bilibili and AC Fun. They have been there, out there for more than five, six, even seven years, I think. So I would Mm. say vaguely, I would combine them together. So I'm not trying to make a very big difference between, you know, the streaming platforms with maybe some some other video platforms, but just trying to get back to what you say. Yes, a, a, a very obvious characteristic of Chinese media or Chinese we, we media is like a lot of them start just like for instance Facebook or, or Twitter or YouTube but then they developed into their own like they have their own Chinese um, environmental ecology to them or they have their own Chinese algorithm I don't know how to call it okay. but then it, it starts to become Chinese it's, it's definitely not just a copy of Facebook or 
or um, YouTube. And then that affects how these Tibetan bloggers and bloggers are making their content. Yeah, the content would be, and also one thing that I observed is that there's not yet um, a, a Tibetan vlogger from China that makes, for instance, videos on YouTube. I haven't found that yet. But maybe, you know, I can search, or maybe if you're interested, you can do the search. I really haven't found anything yet. Yeah, so most of their, I would say, video uh, works where their channels are, are aiming at the Chinese market or Chinese audience. This concludes part one of the conversation with Rebecca. Um, I'm really bad at segues and outros and it is 12.26am so see you next episode.